0: Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast that you would do. If you had nothing better to do? Yeah.
1: And is this thirty oh. Thirty-four. Thirty three was Michelle Carter oh, Conrad was sorry, Roy. To which can I go right into our update? Yes. Michelle Carter's attorney filed a notice to appeal the conviction. She was the young woman convicted of manslaughter for convincing Conrad Roy, another teenager, to commit suicide, and the big thing was, I won't go over the whole case, but he got out of the truck where he was asphyxiating himself, and she told him, he was on the phone with her, and she told him to get back in. That's what did her in. But her attorney filed... And him in. Sorry. Yes, it did. Threw him in. And it's a procedural move that officially signals that the defense is filing an appeal, and that's from the Boston Globe. She was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter in June. A judge ruled that she pressured her boyfriend, 18-year-old Conrad Roy III, to commit suicide in 2014 through a series of phone calls and texts, and then failed to help him. She was sentenced in August to 15 months in jail. She could have gotten up to 20 years. Wow. And she is out... As long as her appeals are in the Massachusetts court system, she's out. They expect this to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, but once she's done with her appeals in Massachusetts, she goes to start serving her Interesting. sentence. And if you want to know the legal ins and outs and that type of thing, you can listen to our episode because it's kind of complicated and I don't want to get into it right now. Yeah. They can but, listen to the episode. Yeah, but one we thing I did want to mention. for free. Right. One thing I did want to mention that wasn't in any of the stories I saw, and I meant to bring up but then forgot because there was so much stuff and I hadn't written it down, was he was, besides being exhausted because he had been up talking and texting with her since 4 in the morning and it was now evening, you know, carbon monoxide poisoning alters your way of thinking and your mind and stuff. And he got out of the truck... And she said to him, he was still on the phone with her, she said, get back in. I'm surprised, and maybe they brought this up in the trial, and it just didn't make any of the stories I read. I'm surprised attorneys didn't also bring up, it would have worked for either the prosecution or defense, depending on how you, that he wasn't in a condition to make decisions for himself. And her telling him to get back into the truck, he's not going to rationally think, she's right, I'm going to get back into the truck carbon monoxide like that's why a lot of people die of it because by the time they're affected by it they can't get out of the house they can't think clearly enough to they get out of the think house clearly
0: and i think you um you get well you get ill and you
1: uh, pass out right but before you do that you get a headache yeah, and I also you headache your and you, your mind is, yeah, your mind gets altered clearly. and stuff yeah. so anyway i just thought I, I meant to make the point last week Yeah. so that's okay. the point meant it's made Did we have anything else we needed to talk about before we started today's episode, which I'm very excited about? I can't think of anything. Oh, and I wanted to mention, too. Sorry. I'm just trying to stall you. I know. So I can keep the limelight for myself. But we're in our secondary, what's become our secondary studio, Think Tank, co-working on the Roaring Royal River, although it's not really Roaring. It's Labor Day weekend. We are next to the Roaring Interstate 295. Which you heard probably in last week's episode and will um, hear in sure tonight, I hear but it. I figure I feel like it adds some ambiance, like it gives us immediacy okay, to our right. That too. Okay, well I'm
0: excited. Yes. So this year, this summer, was the 40th anniversary. Of the what they called the summer of Sam, according yes. to that movie. But I, I remember well. he wasn't really in the movie, and the guy that played him didn't look anything like Who him. Who played him? The guy that played Jimmy on on uh, the practice and oh, that guy. Yeah, I think he's the one that played. He it. played David Berkowitz, I believe so. Jeez, and he played yeah. him in something. Mm. And I was like, that's a stupid yeah, no, that was bad. But anyways, if you're wondering what we're talking about, mm-hmm. in the summer of 1977, the city of New York was in a state of terror because of a serial killer known as the 44 caliber killer or the son of Sam. One of the reasons he was so frightening is that he would strike randomly and shoot without warning, and he seemed to target couples in cars, although a single woman walking on the street was also in danger. Mm. He roamed the streets of the Bronx, Queens and Brooklyn seeking the opportunity, and then he would shoot his victims and run away. When he was finally arrested on the evening of August tenth, 1977, and the news broke into the night and the next day, people wanted to see what this evil monster looked like. There had been many different composite sketches over the year. He was killing about a year and a half. They didn't look much alike, though. They were all different, the composite sketches, if you look mm. online. It's so much for
1: eyewitness yeah, testimony. I know.
0: When people finally saw him, they saw a young man with a sweet smile on his mm. his he was almost cherubic, I, I yes. would call him. In fact, she, he was
1: if you're going to think of an actor to play him, like a young, although maybe you can't make Andy people Kaufman go back and a bit chubbier. Oh, well, I was almost thinking Steve Gutenberg. You know, remember no. he's in Dyer. No, I not I just don't think so. Okay.
0: I th- he he reminds me of Andy Care. A- if Andy Kaufman was chubbier, that's what he reminded yeah, me of. Although I
1: can never get around Andy Kaufman's weirdness. Mm. is just the overwhelming mm. thing. Yes. So he
0: did not look like the kind of person who would go around killing people. But not, then who does? I know.
1: I know, but still, he doesn't look
0: like this Although man. I would
1: say Jeffrey Dahmer did. He was not very
0: tall. He was stocky and almost chubby. His smile was eerie as he sat in the police car and was escorted from place to place as the cameras rolled and people yelled insults and death threats at him. Mm,
1: That's always fun.
0: By the time he was arrested, David Berkowitz had killed at least six people and wounded seven. He was not the most prolific or savage killer in history, but he is one of the most well-known. Mostly because of the publicity and the odd story around his reasons for
1: the shootings. And we'll talk about those later. And we do. And also, and you may be bringing this up too, but I feel, like it, I feel like it was just one of those summers. Like 1977 was just one of those yeah, years. Yeah, that a
0: documentary, NY-77.
1: Yeah. There the was lot was a lot of stuff happened that summer. In New York. The blackout. Um, there was the helicopter crash on a... The, they used yeah. to have this helicopter that would bring people to the airport... And it would land on top of the MetLife building. It crashed, and it sliced up a bunch of people, five people. And not that you'd remember that, but just it's just one of those things that's just yeah, involved well, in that summer. Yeah, and it was just, it captured,
0: just sometimes, you know, it's just like people talk about Jack the Ripper still, and he didn't kill as many. I mean, there are other people who have killed more. He captured people's imagination. Somehow they did. First... Who was David Berkowitz and how did he end up a notorious killer? He was born Richard David Falco on June 1st, 1953 in Brooklyn, New York to Betty, a single mother who already had a daughter, Rosalind. Rosalind's father was Betty's husband, Tony Falco. Tony had left Betty over 10 years prior to David's birth. Mm. Richards, but they hadn't gotten divorced, and she kept his surname. According to many accounts, including those of Betty herself and David Berkowitz, Betty had a long-time affair with Joseph Kleinman, a local married businessman with a family of his own, huh. three kids. He did not want her to keep the child due to the embarrassment and turmoil it would cause his family and his reputation, in public Maybe reputation. he should have kept his dick in his pants. Maybe. According to David... In later interviews, their affair lasted 20 years. And Kleinman did help support Betty because she was very poor. She's described as impoverished several places, so I'm sure one place described her that. And and then everybody everybody picked it up. Yes. His wife knew about her as well, Mm. Um, but a baby would have just been too much. I would think. Friends of Betty put her in touch with a couple in the Bronx who were in their 40s. Betty was also about 40 at the time. They were childless and wanted to adopt. Nathan and Pearl Berkowitz owned a hardware store. They adopted David right out of the hospital, and they reversed his first and middle names. And it, what happened was they never met. Betty never met them. It was a private adoption. David was left at the hospital. Betty left the hospital. And, mm. like, the next day, they came and picked David up. Because adoption back then was very private. private. I don't know. You know, people, it was weird, the attitudes people had about it. In a 1978 article in Good Housekeeping magazine, Betty Falco, David's biological mother, tells that she wanted to keep the baby, but Kleinman, the father, said no way. And back then, if you didn't seek an illegal abortion, you would lay low and hide out until the baby was born, and someone would adopt him or her. And that's, so that's what she decided to do. Yeah. She probably couldn't afford to have it sa-
1: I was going to say, it sounded like she didn't have much of a choice of what to do mm-hmm. about it. It sounded like Kleinman was calling the shots. The Berkowitz. And was, abortion was illegal. Yeah, it was and, illegal. So You know, rich people could get them, and he wasn't going to pay for
0: hers, probably. Mm-hmm. The Berkowitzes were devoted parents to little David, especially Pearl. She doted on him, and he adored her most of the time. David said his parents often tried to be close and loving, but it was hard for him to reciprocate. He felt that he was unable to truly love anyone, but Hmm. if he did love anyone, it was his mother, Pearl. So much so that, according to one account, he poisoned and killed her parakeet
1: because he was jealous.
0: And, And though he loved her, he was often rude and mean to her. Oh. And I'm like
1: who isn't Who isn't rude and mean to the red sorry mom? I'd say poison, poisoning the parakeet red flag but I don't know how true that is because right. that was only Could one flag. Yeah. And but being rude rude and mean to your mother, unfortunately. When you're a little it's kid. Common. Yeah. The Yeah. or even a fifty year David said that when he was four
0: or five, his parents told him he was adopted. They told him his mother had died in childbirth and his father wasn't able to care for him. At the time A lot of experts advised adoptive parents to say that so the kid wouldn't feel like my parents didn't love me. Didn't love me, me, right. And as we know, a lot of people didn't even tell their kids they were adopted back then. That was like a stigma for some reason. Yes, it was a stigma. And in fact, David used to get made fun of at school. Because he was adopted. You aren't a real kid because you're adopted. You're not a real kid. Because of this explanation, he believed he had killed his mother and he carried that guilt for many years. He was also afraid his biological father blamed him and would come and kill him. Mm. Later out of the army and trying to find himself, after Nathan, his adopted dad, had moved to Florida, David joined an adoption rights group. As he told his story in a group session, people started laughing. They told him this is what they all heard, and it was mostly untrue. Mm. He did some digging and found out his biological dad was Anthony Falco. He was concerned because it wasn't a Jewish name. He called Nathan and asked him what the deal was. This Falco guy wasn't Jewish. And Nathan told him the whole story. He said he found his biological mother, Betty, and they had a wonderful reunion and relationship, although some reports said it wasn't, that David was not impressed with her apologizing and screeching. Hmm. But I think that I take his word more than... I would. Yeah. Because those reports, you don't even know where they got that from. It was a biographer I saw, interviewed, I think... I saw a lot of different TV shows on him. It was the same guy that said he was rude to his mother oh, okay. and that, obviously. It was the kind of thing that anything that David did that would seem fairly normal for most people, this guy was like blowing out of proportion. Yeah, He did end up, David, did end up having a relationship with his half-sister Rosalind, and he used to go to her house for Thanksgiving and other dinners and occasions and the kids called him uncle richie because they Hmm. called him richie but back to his childhood i always like hearing about the childhoods david acted out in class and though bright he was very disruptive this being the late 50s early 60s no one knew much about adhd which is Hmm. attention deficit and hyperactive
1: attention deficit hyperactivity disorder yeah well even in the 60s and 70s people didn't know much about it But in the 50s, they definitely did. But years later, as
0: an adult in prison, Berkowitz was diagnosed with ADHD. When he was 10, the school told his parents that they must seek psychiatric help for him if he were to remain in school. During the school year, every Saturday for two years, his mother brought him to see a child psychologist. He said she was quote a nice lady, but nothing was ever accomplished. End mm. quote. David was known as a bully that did not have many friends. Aww. He says as a child, he enjoyed horror stories and movies, although they would scare him, but he still watched them, which mm. we yes. all do, and occult fiction. He liked to hide in the closet where it was dark and be alone. Mm-hmm. He continued throughout his childhood to blame himself for his biological mother's death, and he also was a- still afraid of his father coming to kill him. Wow. makes you wonder, yes, what the fuck as for his adopted mother, Pearl, she was ill with breast cancer. It isn't clear to me if she was getting treatment and didn't tell David or she didn't know until it- that she had it until too late. It wasn't clear. But she was very ill, and he didn't know she was ill. Oh. I don't know if she knew and, like, was being treated or what. Right. But this was, like, 67, about. Shortly after his bar mitzvah, one night, she was getting ready to go out to dinner. He was 14. David was upset that she was leaving him for the evening and had a tantrum in which he told her he hated her and wished she would die. Aww. Oh. Which kids say that, too, when yeah, they're 14. Yeah, they do. Yeah. That doesn't really it, make him... Yeah. That evening, while out, she collapsed and was brought to the hospital. She never regained consciousness and eventually died. See,
1: kids say that, but you don't want to say it. I mean, he didn't know she was sick, but... And then if they die right after it... Kind of messes up. Yeah. David was
0: devastated. Nathan, his dad, threw himself into work and was rarely home. David would ride his bike alone everywhere, something he'd done his whole childhood. But without his parents around, he was on his own most of the time. So he would sneak out at night and ride his bike everywhere, too. And he would Mm. also run across the rooftops of the Bronx at night, Mm. which people still do stuff like that. He had a lot of learning disabilities and frustrations in school due to his inability to focus. He missed a lot of school through grade school and into high school because he just didn't want to go because it was difficult for him. But he did manage to graduate from Columbia High School in the Bronx before going into the Army. He wanted to be a Vietnam War hero, maybe even die in the war as mm. a hero, but he was stationed in Korea, where he was trained as a sharpshooter. He had suicidal thoughts since his mom died, and he was also lonely and wanted a girlfriend. Oh. He sought girlfriends among the sex workers who hung around the Army base.
1: They don't make good girlfriends. But he
0: found it degrading. Yeah, And, you know, they were there to make some money, not get yeah. a boyfriend.
1: I read in
0: one place, but only one, that he only had sex with a woman once, and when he did, he contracted an STD. Mm -hmm. That sounds bogus. Yeah. And that's why he hated women.
1: Mm. You know, can I just, and I'm sure you agree with this, but when there's something like that and then say, and that's why he hated women, it's like, and I always hate, especially these serial killers who kill women because they have deep hatred for women and people point to, like, one thing. And it's like, no, there's something fucking wrong with the mentally ill person. There's something wrong and when it, our society is pretty much
0: misogynistic, it feeds it and you're mentally ill and also you're not thinking clearly and that
1: and also I, I think people want to be able to in stories reports, newspaper oh, they articles can be right, and people want to be able to point to something. But it's always yeah, that's why he hated women. Like I believe all the stuff you cited about his childhood probably affected him deeply and but de- it effect- was also but there was also yes. something wrong and we'll with him We'll talk about that.
0: Yeah. During this time when he was stationed in Korea He wrote a letter to Nathan, who was his adoptive father, apologizing for being such a loser, Mm. for not amounting to anything. He said that Nathan would be better off just forgetting he had a son and denying his existence. Uh. In 1973, he was stationed at Fort Knox, Kentucky, and ended up becoming a Baptist and joining a church. Uh. He liked the sense of belonging and acceptance the church gave him, but at the same time, the more religious he became, the more his self-loathing grew. Yes. He saw religion himself, does that to yeah. people. Saw himself as flawed and sinful and figured he was on the road to hell. So his religious zeal waned. Yeah, I think people either go with I suck because I'm such a sinner or Wow so I'm I'm forgiven than everybody. Because
1: I found Jesus. Was he was his were his adoptive parents um or his, I, I yes, can I yes, but were they practicing? Was he brought up? Yes. well, he had a bar had mitzvah. A bar mitzvah. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, well,
0: he had a bar mitzvah, and his, his sister Rosalind was also Jewish. His mother and his biological right. father were Jewish.
1: Yes. Yes. but some people are Jewish, yes. in kind of a cultural yes. way, and some people no, are he practicing. Was
0: yeah, he was honorably discharged, although. Due to disciplinary issues. But I think Mm. sometimes they just honorably discharge people. Yes, just to get rid of them. And moved back to the Bronx in 1974. Nathan had moved to Florida, having remarried. And David was upset about this and blamed his stepmother and stepsister for taking his father away. Mm. Again, lots of blame. Must be why he hated women.
1: When he's not blaming himself, he's blaming other people. He
0: came to believe there was something about him that pushed people away. And he called himself the schmutz. Which is Yiddish for dirt. If you didn't he, know that, y-
1: well, there probably was. He sounds like he was—he didn't have a very pleasant personality.
0: I think, he, from what I've read about him, I think he was. Well, first of all, he had—he had mental health issues. Yeah. but he was also extremely shy. And he had trouble. He maybe he's who knows. He might be on the autism spectrum. He had trouble with social relationships with people. He couldn't talk to people very well. Now he seems very able to talk. If you go on
1: YouTube, you'll find. Well, a lot of people with ADHD have social relation issues. It's they find it difficult to talk to people. And you know, and a lot of times people think somebody's on the spectrum if they have ADHD because there are very similarities. Because they're obsessed with things and stuff. Yes, like that. Yes, and, and because they're not, they're or not they get focused on right, you know. or, and they're not as socially adept because they they don't necessarily read social cues mm. as well so as can... other people and that type of thing. And and all, and then they get gun shy because yeah. they realize they're always saying the wrong thing. And people are yeah. like, ah. Oh.
0: Around that time, when he moved back to New York from Kentucky. That's when he found out about his biological family and met Betty and all that oh. stuff. And also around this time, according to him and some other sources, he became involved with a satanic cult. And I'll talk about whether or not I believe this later. Okay. We'll discuss it later. I'm going to just go with what he's saying for now. All right. And he's born again now and believes in Satan. He's saying that because of his experience as a child and mental issues, he was open to accept Satan into his Heart. He's trying now to say that this has something to do with his crimes and mm. we'll, I'll go into it more. But so it's I'm like his going, own kind of revisionist. I'm just kinda, yeah. yeah. I think if he did join a cult, he was just I think he was just like with the Baptist Church he was looking for a place to belong. Mm-hmm. According to him, this group was always partying and doing drugs and he could meet girls there. Mm. So, I don't know. In later interviews... He says he could feel something enter him when he chanted the satanic chant. I think he was mentally ill at this time. Mm -hmm. And I think people who are in a psychotic state, whatever is causing that psychotic state, whether he's bipolar or schizophrenic or whatever, they will cling. And we've talked about this in other other episodes. They'll cling to religion. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Whatever. Like a lot of times they think they remember the CIA. Something. In order to make things in their mind right. make
1: sense, they get these weird beliefs, and I think to right yeah, gives structure to their beliefs. Yeah, and then you can take and can, make sense of their delusions and or hallucinations. Right, and you can take a lot of things from the Bible or Satanism or other things and use them to validate or justify. So if the weird he chick-
0: was in this, I don't, I don't think this cult ever really existed. Yeah. But if he was, if he did join one. I think that it wasn't because he wanted to worship Satan. It was because he wanted friends,
1: right? And people who are fundamentalist, extreme Christians, the kinds that talk in tongues, evangelical, also say they feel things enter them. And it's just, I think a lot of it's the extreme emotion well, and the yeah. frenzy you get yourself into through your beliefs.
0: So back to where David met Betty his biological mom, for the first time. This is something he said in an interview from about 20 years ago. He said, Here I was, I never wanted to be born in the first place, miserable, maladjusted, plagued with death fantasies, only to find out that I was unwanted, an accident after all. Ah. So, although he enjoyed spending time with his biological family, as they were very welcoming and loving, he was dubious about their sincerity. He started to have thoughts about killing all of them. Mm. But he didn't want to kill them, so he started to avoid them. But he could not avoid his violent urges. His first attack on someone, according to him, because it was never connected with the son of Sam mm. uh, until he told police about it, was Christmas Eve 1975 in the Bronx. He walked the streets with a hunting knife and stabbed two different women at two different times. One was never identified, but the other is Michelle Foreman, who was 14. Or 15, depending on the source. He stabbed her in the back, but she struggled and he ran away. She was hospitalized and couldn't identify her attacker. He realized he did not like stabbing people. It was too intimate and personal. He decided the next time he did it, he would use a gun. Ah, there you go. Shortly after those attacks, David moved to Yonkers. One of the reasons he moved from the Bronx to Yonkers was because barking dogs were driving him nuts. I said, literally? Literally. They didn't have barking dogs on Yonkers? The They'll see. Okay. People, probably a lot of people in the city, they have their dogs and their dogs bark all day. Right. Um, his landlord, apparently wherever he lived, his landlord's dogs barked constantly. Mm. I have a neighbor whose dog is constantly. That poor little dog. He's a little dog. He's always in the window barking. Aww. And they live in a house, but yeah. you know, he's lonely. Yeah. Uh, He found the same problems in Yonkers. Yay. The barking dogs were so distracting to him, he would often drive to the beach and sleep in his car. See, now I think that the dogs barking probably did bother him, but whatever else was going on in his mind, it was... Right. Like the focus.
1: Well, another ADHD thing is certain noises can become... I mean, a lot of people are bothered by noise. Yes. But noises, certain noises can become so bothersome, they drive you to distraction. And especially if it's
0: something... Your brain is, you know, you're focusing on it, and it's just, you know, whatever. So he would take long walks on the beach to clear his mind. And it was during these walks he came to a decision, he later said in a letter, quote, I was determined that I must slay a woman for revenge purposes, for all the suffering, mental suffering they caused me, end Mm. quote. About this time, he went to Florida to visit Nathan. Nathan became concerned when he witnessed David staring at himself in the mirror and pounding himself in the head. Mm, I would be, too. He tried to get David's psychiatric help. In fact, he called David's half-sister, Rosalind, who they they never met in person but spoke on the phone because of David and his mental issues. So Nathan and Rosalind hadn't met. Yes, they had never met. But he called her because he was so concerned to see if she could try to intervene and help. And David said that he was beyond help. It was too late to help him. Hmm. And then he left. He went to Houston to visit an
1: army buddy, which is never a good idea. No. I know we've said this before, too, but the mentally ill person isn't the one who should be deciding if he needs the help. You get to a point where you don't ask them if they want help. Uh, I agree with you, but there also is only so much you can do. That's true. He wasn't hurting anybody except his head. uh, That they knew of. They They didn't know he had
0: stabbed that poor girl. And the other unidentified woman. Yes. So, this friend, Billy Dan Parker, <laughs> helped him buy a 44 caliber Bulldog revolver at a pawn shop for $125. And I know nothing about guns. He neither. But this seems like a large gun with big bullets.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds big to me. A, new, a
0: news report after Berkowitz's arrest shows the pawn shop assistant manager reacting with shock. Sure, he knew about the son of Sam Killer. By then, the whole country knew. But he never imagined his shop would be linked to the killings. Oh, good publicity for him. Because Billy Dan, I mean, Billy Dan, is that his name? Yeah, Billy Dan. Billy Dan. Dan. He uh, bought it in his name. I don't know why, because I think David could have bought it. He yeah. Didn't. it wasn't any reason, but whatever.
1: Well, maybe he couldn't. Maybe they had, it's hard to believe Texas may have had gun laws or something. But maybe he had to be a Texas resident. Or oh, maybe it was something. Something, like
0: that. you know. It would have been nice if I did some research. Yeah, it would have been. <laughs> <laughs> David was by this time in a paranoid state. Mm. He told Billy Dan that he needed protection for his long drive back to New York. His mental health was deteriorating rapidly. When he got back to his apartment in Yonkers, the barking dogs, his paranoia, and his anger, directed at women, of course, and his poor mental health formed a deadly combination. (laughs) He took his new gun, put it in a paper bag, and went out at night to hunt victims. But not on his home turf, Yonkers. He started in the Bronx, his former home. His first shooting victims were Donna Loria and Jody Valenti. Both girls. Jody is not a boy. Even though one place I read online said they were on a date and making out that somebody different. These mm-hmm. two are girls or women. Mm-hmm. Donna was eighteen and Jody was nineteen. They'd spent the evening at a discotheque called Peach Trees in New Rochelle.
1: <laughs> <I> never...
0: <laughs> Dick Van Dyke yeah, show. Sure. No, now they were back home in the Pelham Bay area of the Bronx. It was one ten in the morning. July nineteenth, 1976. They sat in Jody's car, talking and laughing. The girls were neighborhood buddies, according to Jody. They had a shared interest in the medical field. Jody was a nursing student, and Donna was studying to be an EMT. They were double parked in front of Donna's house. And while they sat in the car, Donna's parents returned home from their own night out. They spoke to each other and joked a bit, and then the folks went inside. Berkowitz had spotted them as he was driving around. He did something that became his usual practice. He parked nearby, then slowly circled on foot. Then he quickly approached the car as Laura was getting out, according to some accounts. Other accounts say he just shot through the window. So, as I said before, every time I'm researching something, there's like,
1: you know... Right, and then people pick up something somebody else wrote yeah. and, yeah. So, anyways, he fired...
0: Four shots. She reportedly had said, now what is this? And then he shot. Like she saw him coming Mm -hmm. and, and said something like, who is this or what is this? David took his gun out of a brown paper bag, knelt down, bracing an elbow on his knee. This is according to one account. And shot, holding the gun in both hands. It is a big gun, so maybe he did. Laura was instantly killed, shot in the back. Mm. He shot twice more, hitting Jody in the thigh, and the other bullet going astray. Well,
1: see, then the account of them getting out of the car, or at least one of them getting it before he shot, seems logical. All I can
0: think of is she was getting... Yeah, if she was getting out of the car, she might have turned away from him and right. then he shot her in the back. Yeah. I don't know.
1: He quickly walked away. Or ran. But it's hard to get shot in the back if you're still sitting in the yeah, car. You'd be more likely to be shot Unless in the Unless she was turned toward her friend talking.
0: That could be. I don't yeah. know.
1: Yeah, you're right.
0: Jody did not know the man who shot her and her friend. She described him as about a 160 pounds, with dark wavy hair. Laura's father had also seen him sitting in a yellow compact car earlier in the evening and gave the same description. Neighbors also reported an unfamiliar yellow car driving around the area hours before the shooting that evening. And it is a fairly residential area. I saw pictures of it. It's not like, I don't know, I guess people that don't live in in a big city would think, oh, New York, it's probably all, you know, high rises or whatever. But it's not. It would just look like any neighborhood. Berkowitz later said that after the shooting, he felt relieved. He said as he drove home in his yellow 1974 galaxy, mm. like he was, quote, walking on air, mm. The next day, he saw a story. He didn't know if he had killed anybody or not until the next day. He saw the story about the shooting in the New York Post, and he liked seeing the story. And so he started prowling often. Some reports I read said weekly, but some say nightly. On October 23rd, 1976, he decided to strike again in Flushing, Queens, Carl DeNaro, age 20, and Rosemary Keenan, age 18, were sitting in her car when the windows exploded, according to DeNaro's account. Rosemary, acting quickly, good for her, sped off. At first, they were in shock, not realizing what happened, and that they had been shot at. Rosemary did not have any bullet wounds, just superficial cuts from shattered glass. Carl had been shot in the head and eventually had to have part of his skull removed and Ugh. replaced with a metal plate. Carl DeNaro had long shoulder-length brown hair. He wondered if the shooter thought he was a woman, but this was later after the shootings were connected to the other 44 caliber killer crimes. Yes,
1: and the son of Sam was called the 44 caliber killer right before yes. he was son of Sam. Yes.
0: At the time, police did not connect the shooting to the Loria Valenti shootings. The two crimes were in different boroughs in different precincts and investigated by different people. This was 40 years ago. I don't need to tell you how different things were back then Hmm. as far as communication and information. Yes. And, frankly, cooperation between them. Oh, yeah. They were all in a freaking dick measuring contest all the time. Rosemary Keenan's father was a 20-year veteran of the NYPD, so the investigation was extensive and covered a lot of possible motives, but none were found and police made no progress. The next attack happened November 27, 1976, in Bella Rose, Queens. Donna DeMassi, 16, and Joanne Lamino, 18, had been to the movies and were talking on Lamino's porch, or under a street lamp, depending on the source. A man could and, have been both. They had, I think they had seen Rocky that uh-huh. night. A man in military fatigues approached and started to ask directions, but before he even finished the sentence, he pulled out the gun and shot each of the women once. They both fell. He fired a couple more times before running away. Donna DeMassi was shot in the neck, and Joanne Lamino was shot in the back. Donna's injury was not life-threatening, but Joanne ended up becoming a paraplegic due to her injuries. A neighbor who heard gunshots came out and saw a blonde man running away. Hmm. The police still had not connected any of the crimes to each other, but the next shooting would change that. Not long after midnight on January 30th, 1977, John Deal, 30, sat in his car with his fiancée, Christina Freund. They were parked near the Forest Hills Queen Station of the Long Island Railroad. They had seen the movie Rocky. Oh, I'm sorry. They're the ones that saw Rocky. I knew somebody had. (laughs) They had seen the movie Rocky earlier that evening and were planning on heading out dancing. As they sat, talking, kissing, whatever, three shots burst through the windows, two hitting Freund. Deal was only superficially injured and rushed his fiancee to the hospital but she died several hours later. Police were able to get bullets from the car and compared them to some of the other crimes. They determined the weapon was the same caliber, and NYPD Sergeant Richard Conlon told the press that police were, quote, leaning towards a connection in the cases, but were searching for more than one suspect. And they released composites of both the dark-haired suspect for the Loria Valenti shooting and the blonde guy for the Damasi lamino shooting. An interesting side note about David Berkowitz. Hmm. Besides his lust for killing, he also harbored fantasies about being a hero and saving people from burning buildings, etc. Mm. Along with his gun or guns or whatever he carried in his car, he also carried an emergency kit. On the same night he shot Christine Frond and John Deal, he came across some people whose car was stuck in a snowbank. He got out of his car and helped them push out their car. Oh, nice guy. That was before he shot, and then he went shot. The next attack was also in Queens, about a block away from the Deal shooting. This time the victim was Virginia Voscariccian, 19 years old. And she was an immigrant from Bulgaria. I think she had just been an American citizen for like a year. Mm. She was a student at Columbia University. She was walking home from classes, 7.30 p.m. on March 8, 1977. She was confronted by Berkowitz as she walked down the street. He pointed the gun at her face, and she put her books up in front of her face to try to block Mm. him, and he shot through her school books, hitting her in the head and killing her. Wow, that is a big gun. Well, there were no witnesses to the actual murder... A lot of people in the neighborhood had seen a person they described as, quote, a chubby teenager (laughs) in a sweater and watch cap running away. And some reported they had seen him loitering around the neighborhood hours prior. The murder was quickly linked to the previous shootings. The Daily News and the New York Post were on the story constantly. And both papers saw circulation skyrocket. In a press conference, Mayor Abraham Beam connected Virginia Voskarician to the other shootings Although the police did not know this for sure, they suspected, but the evidence wasn't conclusive. But the mayor mm. thought it was. The killer was now called the 44 caliber killer ah. in the press. Women started wearing their long hair up because it was reported he liked to shoot women with long dark hair. Although in a lot of their pictures, the hair is not long, yeah. so I don't know. There was actually a shortage of peroxide in New York City area because so many women were changing their dark hair to blonde. In April 1977, David Berkowitz wrote a letter to his neighbor, Sam Carr. The letter was postmarked April 11th. In the letter, he told Sam Carr that he needed to do something about his noisy dogs Mm. or Berkowitz was going to take legal action. He said that he and his wife couldn't enjoy life because of the barking and the howling. There was no response to his letter. Hmm. The 7th shooting happened in April 17, 1977, about 3 a.m. in the Bronx. Alexander Esau, age 20, and Valentina Suriani, age 18, were sitting in Suriani's car near her home. They were not far from the site of the Loria Valenti shooting. Berkowitz shot each of them twice, killing Valentina Suriani at the scene. Alexander Esau died at the hospital later, not regaining consciousness or able to identify the shooter and by the way i forgot to mention but virginia vascarichian mm-hmm. it was only like a block away from the okay. demasi lamino shooting the police believe the same gun was used in this crime and now said they were searching for one killer a letter was left at the scene of this shooting addressed to nypd captain joseph Orelli. berkowitz dropped the letter there right before he shot them And this is what the letter, written in kind of childlike block letters, said. I am deeply hurt by your calling me a woman hater. I am not, but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. He has son of Sam in quotations and brat in quotations. Mm. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Quote, go out and kill, quote, commands Father Sam. Behind our house, some rest, mostly young, raped and slaughtered, their blood drained, just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic, too. I can't get out, but I look out the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I'm on a different wavelength than everybody else. Programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention, all police. Shoot me first. Shoot to kill or else. Keep out of my way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many heart attacks. Ugh, me hoot. It hurts, sonny boy. (laughs) I miss my pretty princess most of all. "'She's resting in our lady's house, but I'll see her soon. "'I am the monster, Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. "'I love to hunt, prowling the streets looking for fair game, tasty meat. "'The women of queens are ze prettiest of all. "'I must be the water they drink. "'I live for the hunt, my life. "'Blood for Papa, Mr. Borelli, sir. "'I don't want to kill any more, no sir, no more, but I must.' Honor thy father. I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on earth. Return me to yahoos, to the people of Queens. I love you. And I want to wish all of you a happy Easter. Mm. May God bless you in this life and in the next. And for now, I say goodbye and goodnight. Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back. To be interpreted as bang, 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 bank, bang, ugh. Yours a Murder, Mr. Monster. Mm. I think he overdid it. But... That was interesting. Yeah, it has a lot of different thoughts in it. I guess. I know. He, he was going all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Detective Joe Coffey. <laughs> that's his name. Just like in... Hill, Street, Hill Blues. Street Blues. You know what? Hill Street Blues did come out after that. It did. Who was in charge of the night patrol in the area. He was really cute in Hill
1: Street Blues.
0: This guy, uh, he not looked at going to No,
1: he, he wasn't, actually he wasn't a bad looking guy, but he, he wasn't my he type. He was played by Ed Marinero. Yeah, he's cute. Yeah.
0: But this was not no, him. Okay. He was in charge of the night patrol in the area. Said that that was one of the worst nights of his life.
1: I of bet. his career,
0: I mean, I'm sorry, not his life. They had been because they've been uh, unable to prevent it, and they had been like patrolling. The letter was examined, scrutinized, and interpreted and parsed by everyone from police, the media, mental health experts. All had their opinions. Some said he may be Scottish because of some of the spellings when oh, he said geez. "women," and he said it hoot, It hoots me. Yeah, I think he was just messing. deliberately. You know. Yeah, I
1: think he's just fucking with him.
0: Others thought he hated dark haired nurses because of his father's death. They thought that his father died of a heart attack and he hated nurses because of- I didn't but, think anything about the father, literally. But then again, I already knew about the dog connection, so I was thinking when he was saying my dad ties, I was thinking he's like, the dog is calling Sam as dad. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I-I-I don't-I-I I don't know. Making sense of anything in that letter I know, <laughs> It's silly.
0: But they're trying to find out who did it. No, I know. I it.
1: I understand that.
0: Jimmy Breslin, columnist for the Daily News, focused on the shooter watching the world from his attic window. Whatever,
1: Jimmy. Yeah. And well, maybe did Jimmy point out that the guy said he can't get out of the attic, so how did he get out to shoot people? I'm just saying. I don't know. Well, I you Jimmy, you can't because he's dead. I used to get the New York Daily News back then just to read yes, Jimmy Breslin. I know. Just to buy it. And Mr. Paperback. The police
0: consulted with several psychiatrists and came up with a profile of the shooter, who they believed to be paranoid, schizophrenic, and neurotic. Someone who believed himself to be possessed by Satan. Which, actually, whether that's accurate. Although, paranoid, schizophrenic, who knows? Back then, they had kind of a different... I don't know. Yeah, what, was this, uh, it was the same. we could have come up with that. I know. A task force was put together to find the shooter. The most extensive manhunt in the history of New York, according to one show. But what does that mean? I don't know. They always
1: say that. They say that about fucking everything. I know. And I always say, well, what? Yeah, how do you quantify that? Up until that day? maybe. Then how do you quantify extensive? The no, the manpower used? The, yeah, I know.
0: you know, one of the things the task force tried to do was to check out all 28,000 registered owners of the 44 caliber bulldog revolver in the United States. There were 28,000. Uh-huh. It was apparently a fairly rare gun.
1: Now, remind me again, Billy Dan bought the gun. So was it registered, registered to Billy? Shop.
0: Yeah, so was it registered I to Billy know. Dan. On April 20th, Berkowitz wrote another letter to his neighbor Sam Carr calling him quote a child of the devil, Mm. and saying, quote, I can see there will be no peace in my life until I end yours. I can kind of, like, understand that. I've had some neighbors that... that, that, Well, the barking dogs? Yes. And, quote, people like you should not be allowed to live on this planet. Mm. (laughs) He signed it, a citizen. (laughs) 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 So... A week later, he shot and wounded Sam Carr's dog, Harvey. Aww. Oh, a little black lab. Aww. On May thirtieth, 1977, Jimmy Breslin received a letter at the paper. Ah. The writer claimed to be the forty-four caliber killer. The postmark was from the same day out of Englewood, New Jersey. The letter was also handwritten in a similar fashion to the one found at the crime scene from the previous month. This letter read... Hello from the gutters of NYC, Mm. which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Mm. Hello from the sewers of NYC, which swallow up these delicacies when they are washed away by the sweeper trucks. Hello from the cracks in the sidewalks of the NYC and from the ants that dwell in these cracks and feed on the dried blood of the dead that has settled into the cracks. JB, I'm just dropping you a line to let you know that I appreciate your interest in those recent and horrendous 44 killings. I also want to tell you that I read your column daily, and I find it quite informative. Tell me, Jim, what will you have for July 29th? You can forget about me if you like, because I don't care for the publicity. However, you must not forget Donna Loria, and you cannot let the people forget her either. She was a very, very sweet girl, but Sam's a thirsty lad, and he won't let me stop killing until he gets his fill of blood. Mr. Breslin, sir, don't think that because you haven't heard from me for a while I went to sleep. No, rather I'm still here, like a spirit roaming the night, thirsty, hungry, seldom stopping to rest, anxious to please Sam. I love my work. Now the void has been filled. Perhaps we shall meet face-to-face some day, or perhaps I will be blown away by cops with smoking 38s. Hmm. Whatever. If I <laughs> shall be fortunate enough to meet you, I will tell you all about Sam, if you like, and I will introduce you to him. His name is Sam the Terrible. Not knowing what the future holds, I shall say farewell, and I will see you at the next job. Or should I say you will see my handiwork at the next job. Remember, Miss Loria... Thank you. In their blood from the gutter, Sam's creation, 44, here are some names to help you along. Forward them to the inspector for use by NCIC. The Duke of Death. The Wicked King Wicker. The 22 disciples of hell. John Wheaties, rapist and suffocator of young girls. P.S. Please inform all the detectives working the slaying to remain. P.S. J.B., Please inform all the detectives working up the case that I wish them the best of luck. Keep them digging, drive on, think positive, get off your butts, knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture, I promise to buy all the guys working the case a new pair
1: of shoes if I can get up the money. Signed, Son of Sam. I feel like he upped his writing game a little because he was writing to Jimmy Breslin. Yeah, maybe. But he still can't, you know, he needs to just tighten it up a little. (sighs) It was all over the place. Yeah, he goes on. Underneath the
0: Son of Sam signature, the writer drew an odd symbol that combined the male and female symbols and an S and an O. Not to be confused with it, Prince symbol that he came up with. You know, remember Prince had that symbol for yes. his name? But it isn't dissimilar to that. Hmm. So Son of Sam came up with it first. Hmm. Breslin gave the letter to the police, and it too was analyzed for meaning and other clues, and they did believe it was the killer that that wrote it. They felt that the lettering was more sophisticated than the first letter, and thought the writer may be a comic book letterer. So they uh, contacted DC Comics to see if mm. his writing looked familiar. And to me, they look very similar. That I saw pictures of both of them. Mm. The reference to to July twenty ninth, the anniversary of the first shooting, made everyone think he was planning another attack for that day. Although he says right in the letter, he's not. I know, but I mean, whatever. Uh. The Daily News held off publishing the contents of the letter for a week and agreed with police to withhold parts of it. And that issue, perhaps the best-selling edition at 1.1 million issues that day. Wow. Breslin urges the 44 caliber killer to turn herself in, and it's like this big headline. What's the
1: date of that issue? It was
0: June 8, 1977. The parts of the letter that were published brought in many leads, but all turned out to be fruitless. The eighth shooting happened in Queens again, outside the Eliphas Disco in Bayside. Sal Lupo, age 20, and Judy Placido, age 17, were sitting in Lupo's car about 3 a.m. on June 26. They were talking about the Son of Sam shooter right before three gunshots came through the windows. One hit Sal Lupo on the right forearm. Judy Placido was shot in the right temple, the back of her neck and shoulder. Both survived. Witnesses said they saw a tall, dark-haired man in a leisure suit leaving the scene. Others saw a blonde man with a mustache driving a Chevy Nova. Neither of the victims had seen their attacker. As Leisure the an- suit? Don't you remember Leisure no, Suit? No, I do. I'm just like... I well, know. he was at a disco.
1: Yeah.
0: Besides, that wasn't him because he wasn't tall. Right. As the anniversary of the first shooting approached, the frenzy about the son of Sam Killer increased. One paper called it Death Day. The city was terrorized. The national news was covering the 44 caliber killer as the first anniversary approached. NBC News has some archival footage from the nightly news and the Today Show from the summer of 1977 on YouTube. The first couple of clips in the hour or so of footage are from the Today Show, June 19th and July 8th, 1977. An NYPD psychiatrist, Dr. Harvey Schlossberg, no relation to Harvey the dog that got shot, Mm. gave a profile of the killer. He predicted the killer will look like a regular everyday guy. He said that the killer probably got a lot of pleasure from killing, but now is enjoying his notoriety. He said that the publicity may actually keep him from killing more people because he's getting satisfaction out of it. But at the same time, he has to keep killing people to keep getting publicity. That's what That's, I say. Yes. He also hypothesized that the 44 caliber killer chose a big gun as a phallic symbol. And that <laughs> Sam in the letters was his gun. He said that Sam stood for mm. his gun. I think everybody like I felt that the le- that they totally misunderstood his letters, but not that they really made sense. But the chief of detectives John Keenan was also on the show. Maybe they needed to get a English major. to Yeah, take maybe. It the chief of detectives John Keenan was also on the show and said that the shooter did not stalk or pick victims in advance. His victims were chosen at random and right before he committed the crimes. Once he chose somebody, he would park his car and approach on foot and shoot him.
1: July 29th came and went with no shooting. In fact, when the cop earlier said, you know, it was the worst night of his career because they had been patrolling, I'm like, well, it's easy to see cops patrolling. He isn't going to shoot.
0: I know that's true. You know, in anticipation of another attack, the police had been patrolling Queens of the Bronx, where the past crimes had occurred. But the Son of Sam picked a different borough for the next shooting. On July 31, 1977, Stacy Moskowitz and Robert Violante, both aged 20, were making out in his car in the neighborhood of Bath Beach in Brooklyn. It was the early hours of the morning. The forty-four caliber killer came up to the passenger side of Violante's car and fired four rounds through the window. Both victims were shot in the head. Stacey Moskowitz died in the hospital hours later. Violante lived but was blinded by the shot. He totally lost his vision in one eye and was almost blind in the other. Uh. This time there was an eyewitness to the actual shooting. Jimmy Zayano was parked a few cars in front of Violante's car and he was parked with a girl too. He saw movement in the corner of his eye as the shooter approached Robert Violante's car and looked in his rearview mirror just as the 44 caliber color struck. Because the car was parked under a street lamp, Violante's car was, Zana was able to get a good look at the killer. He described him as 25 to 30 years old, about 5'7 to 5'9 inches tall, with shaggy blonde or brown hair that looked like a wig. Mm. There were a lot of other witnesses that night who saw a light-colored car, many said a yellow Volkswagen Beetle, racing around with lights off. A lot of people described a scruffy looking man around a man with a wig a stocking over his face. I'm confused because I looked up what a Ford Galaxy looks like and it is not a compact car or anything
1: remotely no, like a, a VW but It's a small it's like a- it's yeah. not compact though. It's a, just a no. Regular, it's a it's a small four door. Four-door. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it might that Rambler I yeah. used to have. I know
0: that's why I thought it was weird that like the VW Bug keeps coming up. The police learned about the Moscow Violante shooting around 2:50 a.m. and first did not connect it with the 44 caliber killer. Why I don't know. Even though it's not in that borough, it's like gee, a couple was shot. Maybe they thought it was like a a copycat or something. Yeah. So until they found out what kind of gun had been used. The task force decided to find and question all 900 owners of VW Beetles in New York oh, and New geez. Jersey. The next day and the next few days, NBC Nightly News and the Today Show were full of stories about the Son of Sam shooting. Friends of Stacey Moskowitz said they joked about the shooter, but she wasn't worried because she had blonde hair. Mm. The news kept calling the victims pretty young girls. Mm. More composite drawings were shown on the news. None of them looked remotely like David Berkowitz. Mayor Beam added 300 more police to the case. He said the killer was terrorizing the whole city. The task force did door-to-door interviews with all the residents near the shootings, trying to find out anything they could. On August 2, 1977, NBC News reported that the police were still no closer to finding the, quote, madman. They reported the nighttime streets of New York were empty. Stacey Moskowitz's mother was on the news telling the shooter to, quote, please just stop. There were no new clues. Stacey Moskowitz's funeral was on August 3, 1977. There was now what the news called a small army of police swarming New York, looking for clues. Citizens formed the Pelham Bay Community Civic Association to try to aid the police in their search. NBC News showed clips of police making stops of anyone who seemed suspicious. They would apologize to the men they stopped but told them they had to find the killer. A lot of the men said it was okay. They wanted the man found, too. Mm Mm-hmm. On August 9th, the nightly news showed new composite sketch. Again, looked nothing like Berkowitz. Mm. None of them looked like him. The only composite sketch that looked anything like him was the first one they did with Jody Valente, the first shooting. On August 10th, police arrested David Berkowitz outside his apartment building at 35 Pine Street, Yonkers. And this is how they figured out who he was. And right before the moskowitz Violante shooting, I'm not sure how to say this girl's name, but I'm going to just say it the way it looks. Cecilia Davis was walking her dog near the crime scene. She saw a patrol officer putting a parking ticket on the windshield of a car parked by a fire hydrant. Soon after, a man came from that direction of the car, and she felt he was looking at her strangely, and he had some kind of object in his hand. Mm -mm. Frightened, she ran back home. Shortly after that, she heard shots fired. She took four days to tell this to the police, but once she did, they checked every car that had been ticketed in the area that night. Jimmy Breslin, on August 11th appearance on the Today Show, said that the reason the witness didn't report the ticketed car sooner is that she was in the country illegally and she was afraid she would be deported she went mm. to police. Uh-uh. She was on a some kind of visa that had run out. On August 9th, An NYPD detective called Yonkers police to see if they could round up David Berkowitz to have a talk with him because they were questioning everyone who had been ticketed that day, and he had actually paid his ticket. Mm. At first, he was just considered a witness. An interesting coincidence, though, that the dispatcher who took the initial call was Wheat Carr, the daughter of Berkowitz's neighbor, Sam.
1: Hmm, that is interesting. Mike Novotny...
0: (laughs) Yes, a sergeant at the Yonkers Police Department.
1: And the reason Rebecca said it that way is because the police chief in my mystery series last name is Novotny. Yes, it's Pete Novotny. Pete Novotny. And when I read that, I thought, hmm. Yeah, just a coincidence.
0: It's a coincidence. He was was a sergeant at the Yonkers Police Department. He said that they had some suspicions about Berkowitz because he had been up to some stuff in Yonkers. And some of those crimes were referenced in the Son of Sam letters. It's like... Oh, dude! dude. You, so were you gonna fucking call the NYPD, or were you just gonna wait for them to call you? Like, what the fuck?
1: Nothing like putting two, two, two together,
0: folks. So, the next day, August 10th, police staked out... The apartment at 35 Pine Street. Because Mike Novotny or whoever at the Yonkers Department said, you know, I think he might be the son of Sam. It's like, really? Well, thanks for telling us. I'm glad we called. So anyways, the police staked out the apartment at 35 Pine Street. They saw his car parked in the street. So they took a look in the window. On the back seat, they saw a 44 caliber rifle. I put rifle slash machine gun slash submachine gun take your pick because the sources kept calling him different things and Mm -hmm. I don't know enough about guns to know there's a 45 caliber some kind of automatic weapon or machine gun or something and that they said gave them probable cause to search the car without a warrant even though one source I read said it was a legal weapon and had no special permit to be used in New York but then later Dick Schapp. Um, said it was an illegal weapon, and that's why they had probable cause. So who the hell knows? In the car, they found ammunition, maps of the crime scenes, and a letter addressed to Inspector Timothy Dowd of the Omega Task Force. Mm. A taunting letter, apparently. They decided to wait until Berkowitz came out of the building. They wanted to get a search warrant for his apartment, and they also didn't want to get into some kind of gun battle with him inside the building. Where Yes, that makes sense. And they knew where he was, and they knew he was going to come out eventually. And David Berkowitz came out of his apartment around 10 p.m. and got into his car. The detectives swooped in guns drawn. Reportedly, Berkowitz said to Detective Falatico, Okay, you got me. According to the 1981 book, Set of Sam by Lawrence Klausner, Falatico said, Now that I've got you, who have I got? You know, was the answer. No, I don't. You tell me. Mm-hmm. I'm Sam. You're Sam? Sam who? Sam, David Berkowitz. At 1 a.m. on August 11th, Mayor Abraham Bean held a press conference where he said, The people of the city of New York can rest easy because of the fact that the police have captured a man whom they believe to be the son of Sam. In the meantime, police had searched Berkowitz's apartment and found it a mess. He had kept diaries for a few years in stenographer's notebooks. Which they still make, don't they? Yes, those they ones do. The line down the middle. Yep. In which he, kept, I took shorthand in high school. Ah. Now. In which he kept records of hundreds of fires that he had set in New York City.
1: Oh, he was a fire center. He was a
0: little firebug. Reportedly, there were satanic messages scrawled on the walls. Ah, uh. whatever. The today's Show on August 11th had lots of coverage. They talked to his neighbors in the apartment building. He was one of the few white tenants. They said he was shy but friendly. He would say hi and pass the time of day, but none of them really knew him. His paperboy lived across the hall, and they're like, did you recognize him from any of the composite sketches? And he's like, no, mm-hmm. none of them looked anything like him. All were shocked at his double life as a son of Sam. Mm. And many were afraid after the fact to realize who they had lived near, which I can't blame them. Yeah. So it was 35 Pine Street. They changed the uh, street number to 42 Pine
1: Street to try to keep I don't know, the publicity. But whatever. Well, and also people, you know, want to go and gawk. Yeah.
0: On the Today Show that morning, also, Jane Pauley interviewed Jimmy Breslin and Dick Schaap. I'm sure I watched that. Who had written some kind of fictionalized book about the Son of Sam. Mm-hmm. Dick Schaap was a reporter and novelist, and I remember... And he was a sports... sports yeah. yeah, a sports reporter. Jimmy explains that he has learned from the police that Sam is a dog. And then Dick chimes in that the dog is the conduit of a 6,000-year-old demon or spirit. Other accounts say in his police interview, Berkowitz told police that the Sam in his letters was his neighbor, Sam Carr. Berkowitz believed Sam's dog, Harvey, was possessed by an ancient demon and that it was compelling David to kill people and demanded the blood of pretty young
1: girls. Mm. I want to say just, you know, the first letter... Came right after he had his, he wrote that first letter to his neighbor. And my first thought, you know, just being somebody who reads mysteries and stuff, was he, he's trying to nail his neighbor, you know, yeah. he's trying to implicate no, his neighbor I think in Harris these killings. It makes a lot more
0: sense. And I want to talk more about them after we get through. But there, there's a couple things I want to talk about. On today's show, Jimmy Breslin said that Berkowitz is, quote, some piece of work. Whoa! He's like saying, whoa, Yeah. Dick Schap said the machine gun was illegal, so I don't know. So that other one that said it was legal, I don't know.
1: I don't know enough about it. Maybe that. somebody said illegal. Whoever wrote the story thought they heard legal because it's hard to hear that first syllable, and they got it wrong. Mm. I'm just speaking as a journalist. No, the
0: story... Well, there's one, the one story I read said it was illegal. The weapon was legal in New York, and it required no special permit. But
1: what, oh, Dick what I'm saying is, when you read the story, the reporter... If somebody says it's a legal weapon, and somebody says it's illegal weapon, Dick Schapp is the one that said it was illegal. Right, but then you had another story said it was a legal. It said it was legal to own in New York. It didn't say no. The way it was written wasn't. Okay, I'm just saying I've seen that mistake so many times because people mishear and don't check. They talked about the poem that was
0: found in Berkowitz's apartment, written on a file folder that had clippings about the Son of Sam and the 44-cattle killer. The poem mentioned someone named Craig. Dick Schaap said that Berkowitz was feuding with someone in his building named Craig, and it had set fire to Craig's apartment. Mm. Jimmy Breslin said that if they hadn't found the note in his car, they may not have put it together as quickly. He said the car was a mess, quote, The inside of his car looked like the inside of his head, except with a... Thanks, Jimmy. I don't know. He said... I think Jimmy, it was a little early in the morning for Jimmy. Yeah. (laughs) Jimmy said, quote... I thought this was interesting. Jimmy said, quote, When you stop to think this guy was going to go into a discotheque with a machine gun, we would have had a terrible trouble with this guy. Woo! Yeah. And... (laughs) <laughs> Apparently he was planning Somehow they knew he was planning to go to some disco And he had that gun So yeah, it would yeah. have been just like Orlando Yeah, Just 30, 40 years before Mm-hmm. Jane Polly asked Why would he go to a disco? Was he jealous of couples? Jimmy said he didn't know See, this is what made me think it was too early in the morning For Jimmy Breslin He's like I don't know. He has a pleasant face. He's kind of goofy, but he looks like he could dance. I'm <laughs> like what the fuck? Maybe he thought Jane's question was so dumb that he oh, that could be that didn't could understand be. It. Maybe he did. They conclude by saying he had the whole city in fear for months. No shit. Yeah. On the nightly news that night, John Chancellor and David Brinkley reported that David Berkowitz was in a mental hospital undergoing testing to see if he was competent to stand trial. Berkowitz ultimately spent a month being tested and was deemed competent. From the time he was arrested, he had confessed and wanted to plead guilty. In September 1977, a few weeks after his arrest, he wrote to the New York Post talking about his demonic possession. He wrote, quote, There are son- other sons out there. God help the world. Some have taken this to mean he had accomplices, but I tend to think he's just speaking in general. Like, right. I'm not the only one.
1: 1977 was a big year for Cyril. Ted Bundy was going around. And look,
0: they're all over the place, I know. even now. I think he was just speaking in general. I think I it was, think too, yeah. On May 8, 1978, he pled guilty to all of the shootings attributed to the 44 caliber son of Sam. Killer. Despite his lawyer's telling him not to (laughs) his sentencing was scheduled for two weeks later at that hearing he got loose he was in like a straitjacket type of thing Mm -hmm. before he went i think they took him out before they brought him into the courtroom he tried to jump out of the window seven-story window once he was finally seated he started chanting stacy was a whore stacy was a whore he shouted i kill her again i kill them all again and sentencing was delayed and the court ordered more psychiatric Mm -hmm. testing Maybe
1: he was just shooting for the psychiatric testing. I wonder, there. I
0: don't know. On june twelfth, nineteen seventy eight, having been deemed competent, a much more subdued David Berkowitz entered the courtroom and was given six consecutive twenty five years to life sentences. And there was some kind of issue with this type of sentence and I'm too dumb to understand the legalities but it turns out the sentences had to be served concurrently instead which means he comes up for, for parole periodically he has declined to go to his parole hearings he doesn't think he should be paroled oh. he was initially sent to attica in upstate new york notorious attica. attica in
1: 1979
0: another inmate slit his throat oh really bad he's got a horrible scar I know, I've seen it personally. (laughs) I'm just kidding, people. David never told who it was that slit his throat. No, because snitches get stitches. And he later said that earned him respect among the other prisoners. He also spent time in Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, New York. And I think he is now in Shawagunk Correctional Facility, which is also in New York somewhere. Our listeners will correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I sure He will. likes the spotlight a little bit, despite claiming he wants to just serve his time. In 1979, he had a press conference that said his previous claims of possession were a hoax. He said he had wanted revenge against women due to the rejection of him and wanted revenge on the world as a whole for its rejection of him. Mm. But then, years later... After he left Attica, he started telling of how he had joined the satanic cult in 1975. So he didn't say that from the beginning. He started saying this. He claimed that the group was involved in drug use, sadism, crime, murder, drug smuggling. Mm. He said that the 22 Disciples of Hell, he mentioned in the Breslin letter, were the members of this cult, which I think he's just I think it's after the fact making shit up. In 1993, he claimed that he had only killed three of the Son of Sam victims. Ah, oh, come on, Dave. Donna Loria, Donna Loria, Alexander Esau, and Valentina Suriani. He said that the other killings were performed by other cult members. They all planned them and took part as lookouts, etc., in each killing Like hmm. they were all there. Doesn't seem likely. He couldn't tell who they were. Or he would put his family at risk. And it's like, what What family? family? I know, no shit. He did say one was a woman, and that's why Denario and Keenan survived. And
1: was she wearing a floppy hat, and did she say acid is groovy, (laughs)
0: kill the pig? She wasn't strong enough to control such a big gun, so that's why Denario and Keenan lived, were hmm. only... Another one was from out of state and went by the name Manson too.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And the guy who killed Moskowitz and Violante came from North Dakota just to do that crime. Ah. Oh. oh, oh, he could name two of the cult members, John and Michael Carr. You know, the sons of Sam Carr, owner of Harvey the Dog. That's oh. not the cult. Both.
1: Well that all makes sense. Yeah.
0: Well, both men died shortly after Berkowitz went to prison. John in a presumed suicide, bygone in North Dakota in 1978. So maybe that's why he. Mm-hmm. And Michael in a car accident in 1979, according to David Berkowitz. John Carr and a Yonkers police officer shot Donna Damasi and Joanne Lamino, and Michael Carr shot Sal Lupo and Judy Placido. While some people, such as author and journalist John Hockenberry, John Santucci, the DA of Queens at the time of the murders, and Yonkers detective Mike Novotny <laughs> believed more than one shooter was involved. Ha. I think it was just Berkowitz. Yeah. Another journalist, Maury Terry, published numerous investigative articles challenging the idea that the 44 caliber killer was only one person. These articles were curated into a 1987 book, which I did not read, titled The Ultimate Evil. The Yonkers police reopened the case in 1996 but didn't find anything. They say the case is unclosed still. Huh? But really? Really. I mean really. Come on. Nobody ever saw him more than just him at the it's scene. It's him. Yeah. Just cuz people are shitty eyewitness, who else fucking did it? In comps no eyewitness testimony. Well, as Jimmy Breslin said, quote, "He's the guy and there's nothing else to look at." Yeah, there you so go, Jimmy. Jimmy. Dr. Harvey Schlossberg said that he believes the satanic cult stories are a way for Berkowitz to absolve himself from the crimes. Yeah, exactly. that's that's what I was going to say. One thing that came out of the case is that New York passed a law preventing criminals or their families from profiting from their crimes. Yeah. Though the U.S. Supreme Court initially struck it down as violating the First Amendment, the state of New York rewrote the law and passed it in 1992, and 41 states now have similar laws. Although David Berkowitz, I have to say, He never has tried to proffer or write anything, now that he's born again, and he's the son of hope instead of the son of Sam. Mm. Berkowitz became born again in 1987 and still enjoys being interviewed. There's Mm. a recent series of interviews with him from 2016 on YouTube, which I talked about. One thing I found interesting that he said, he explained that the whole son of Sam, and I'm going to explain, I think that there's some credence to what he's saying, and I'll explain why, but he explained that the whole son of Sam thing was misinterpreted. He said he was trying to tell them about Sam Hain, the Lord of Darkness, a Gaelic druid, demon of some kind. You know Sammy Hain, don't you? (laughs) And Halloween is kind of based on the Sam Hain Festival. In any case, he said that things got mixed up. I
1: actually mentioned that in my Cranky Editor Holiday Edition
0: episode. Maybe you did, yes. Yes, you did. Episode 6. He said that things got mixed up and the cops didn't understand what he was saying.
1: Well, you know, in the cops' defense... It, that was not a well-written no thing, and it didn't make a lot of sense. It was all over the place. But he was trying to explain it to them. Yes.
0: So my theory of it, first of all, he's mentally ill. They're interviewing him, and he's probably, like, spinning this bullshit story about yeah. demonic possession and stuff and Sam Hain, and they're like, Sam, Sam Carr, yeah, blah, 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 yeah. blah. And he's probably like, Yo. so anyways, let me finish what I've got here, and then we'll talk more about it. I kind of find it plausible, but I also think... And I think he was in a psychotic state, and everything was mixed up in his mind. the dog, his neighbor, demons mm-hmm. and his letters read like someone who's having a mental break. If you ever talk to someone who's schizophrenic or in a really psychotic manic phase, they make all these bizarre connections yeah and if you read anyone that's any writing of anyone with, they do shit like that this is, so now he claims he was possessed, and he's not that man anymore. Mm-hmm. And perhaps he has changed. There are some people who doubt his religious conversion. But me, I don't really doubt it because he wanted to belong to something, and this gives him acceptance. I I don't believe he's really
1: found God. I mean, I think to him he has. I I would say there are people who would argue that any religious conversion is somebody in their head deciding they're going to be obsessed with a certain thing. I mean, why are some more legitimate than others?
0: His motives are self-serving he can distance himself from the people he killed because now he's a changed man and if you watch his interviews even the ones from 2016 he doesn't ever say when i shot stacy moskowitz he says Hmm. when the incidents happened or when she was shot right when he doesn't say and at least that one time he was i'll kill him again or whatever at least he was admitting to doing it and stacy's mother forgave him and became friendly with him before her death in 2006 Hmm. she was And she sent him letters, they wrote to each other, and I'm Mm. like, whatever, it's her choice. I can't really understand that, but whatever, you know, that's the way she wanted to go. He has no desire to get out of prison. He doesn't go to his parole hearings. He says he deserves to stay in prison, and he's doing good work with his religious stuff. Well, he's part of something there. I do believe, I don't know exactly what his mental issue was, but he was fucking definitely... Well, you don't go around shooting people, if you're sane. But also... It was like we were talking about before it was there's a number of factors his childhood, not just his childhood because a lot of people lose a parent at a young age. a lot of people are adopted and have a bad i mean things like that happen, but I do think he had mental illness, and a lot of times when you do have a even if it doesn't show itself until you're a young adult, if you talk to people who have some a member of the family who has a who has some kind of a problem like if they're schizophrenic, they do have some things going on with they're a kid, yeah,
1: and I think some things too aren't noticed. everything he did as a kid isn't documented, yeah, you know and also it's the with the letters and also with people who report on it, people who aren't mentally ill and maybe who don't have a lot of imagination, cops and some reporters try to assign logic to the ramblings of somebody who's mentally ill, so like a lot of the story that's come out of him is people trying to assign logic to mentally ill ramblings. Yeah. Yeah, And a lot of what the cops were like looking at is people trying to assign logic to mentally ill ramblings. And probably his revisionist history, because now he's been in prison, he's been in a stable structure. And he's revised
0: it quite a few times. Right.
1: And he's in a stable, structured environment where there are people looking after him. I don't know how much treatment he's yeah. got, but he's in this very structured environment that allows him to think more clearly, and he probably looks back and says, holy fucking shit. So, he has to make sense of it, either either fooling himself, or just as far as the public narrative goes, to, to make it not as awful. Well I wondered if he was on I mean,
0: if if he was if he was diagnosed with ADHD he's probably on medication for that, but I wondered if he was on any antipsychotic but he could have just had a psychotic break and maybe it wasn't that and I shouldn't I shouldn't diagnose but, but but I will. The, but the
1: thing is, yeah. the dog was driving him nuts. Like when he wrote the letter if to the neighbor, a lot of sleep. Right. He 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 wrote the letter to the neighbor, and then days after it, he dropped that letter that had all the Sam stuff in it. I almost felt when you were like I said earlier, when you were reading the letter, it's like, and I'm not saying this was a logical thought necessarily. on his car, yes, pot. I'm no, shooting people, and now my neighbor's gonna get. I'm gonna see if I can get my neighbor blamed yeah. for it, even though nothing in that letter would have led anybody to his neighbor. But he wasn't. Thinking like a same but person, he kind of was, and I don't think it was this, you know, this master criminal plan. But in his mind, I'm shooting these people. This guy's driving me nuts, and I wish he was dead, and I wish he wasn't in my life. So yeah, I'm going to implicate him in it. Yeah, and it wasn't the whole thing but that he's I think blaming that was part him. Of.
0: And if you're okay. If you're, whatever the hell was going on with him, he wasn't sleeping, he's he's obsessing about shit, those dogs are fucking barking and howling, and that can be annoying. Yes. Especially in a city. Yeah. And maybe it didn't bother other people, because like you were saying, there were certain things that might
1: not bother some people. Because- Although I can't imagine that dogs barking and howling all the time aren't going to bother the other neighbors, too. Yeah. But maybe but, they just dealt with it in different ways. Or they
0: weren't home as much as him, or whatever, who knows. Right. I mean.
1: So anyways, that is my... That's good. I think it's funny how... I think most people think that Sam was the dog. Yes. And that he well, no? yeah. Well, that's because people were reporting that, Jimmy. I, I mean, Jimmy Breslin, yes, sir. oh no, Wh- whichever one. Tick Shaft.
0: Sam was the dog. Yeah. It's like no, that's not really what he says. Yeah. He doesn't say that. Yeah. Okay. Harvey and actually the funny thing is David Berkowitz says Harvey was the dog. Yeah. Sam wasn't the dog. I never said Sam was the dog. So <laughs> even he says. <laughs> that's that. funny. And he also said that one misconception is he never said what took you so long. that's been reported many times yeah. that he said, "You got me what took you so long." He said he never said that, yeah, and he also said that the reason he was smiling was because he was really scared and nervous, yeah, and that was just his, his reaction reaction yeah, and I have no sympathy or empathy for him, but when you see him interviewed to me it's always interesting because you read about because I've read about him for forty years i mean i was I was very there we were all like obsessed with him mm-hmm. when we were kids and Definitely. i was 12 and i remember i was i was visiting somebody out of date when he was caught cuz i remember it reported on the news and the mother of the girl I was visiting was, her mother was like, Oh, they caught that guy. And I remember thinking, That's all, you know, because I was like, Wow, they caught him. Oh my God, they finally caught him. Other people were just like, Yeah, oh yeah, that guy. But you you have this whole thing built up. And then when I see him interviewed, even recently, there are many interviews throughout the years because he never misses a chance. Well, can you blame him? him? No. It's a
1: break in the action. No. You know, it makes your day more interesting. Probably. And, and he gets to talk about himself. And he gets to talk about himself.
0: But uh, he's just like, if you met him, and didn't know who he was. And you wouldn't necessarily recognize him. No. He looks like any guy. He's early 60s, um, roly-poly guy, bald, very talkative. He has a New York accent. You just think, what a friendly guy. He likes to talk, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Well, he, I mean, he's like a... Which everybody is, I know. Yes. But you get these things built right. up in your head. Because but you he's think a this, monster. this killer is walking through the streets and everyone... Well, people don't know it. I mean, even like Ted Bundy. I mean... Yes. People thought he was a nice guy. Yeah, but we think of him, oh, this evil guy, you know, whatever. And it's scarier in a way, but it also should make people think
1: that they're still. Well, people wanna, um, you wanna, you wanna say they're different. Than they're me. a monster. They're a monster, and you can look at them and see. But they're people, and I'm not making excuses or no. expressing any sympathy or anything for him. But he's a person who's who's killed people. But he's still a, a person who is he has other aspects. There are to other him. aspects to yeah. him that he, he doesn't just think about killing right. nonstop. I in fact I think and we've talked about this many times, that people's perception that people who kill are just that one thing and they're not any of the rest of us is one of the biggest things that perpetuates violence oh, and yeah. killing and stuff because people won't recognize what's happening next door. Yeah. And things like that, or be, oh, he's a nice guy. He's a good guy. He wouldn't be doing that kind of thing, especially where domestic violence is concerned, because no. people have this very black and white view. And I don't mean that racially. I just mean well, I mean they perceptively. Mean that,
0: that people, uh, there are criminals and there are us regular people, right. and that's not really the way things no, are. It's not. And the other thing that I brought up earlier, and I'll bring up again, and I know that people who might think i'm too much of a freaking feminine don't care what people think i don't really see but, that's being see women always apologize for what they're afraid but people are going to think misogyny of themselves in our society that when someone a man is mentally ill how many times are victims women and how many times are they degraded and raped and he didn't do any of that but he targeted women and shot them and it's quote
1: unquote because he was rejected by women because yes, he hated it's always men.
0: something like that yes why don't people see that
1: or some of us see it but that it's our
0: whole society our anti-woman society yes. that it feeds into that and yes. like someone as we talked about before if we're going to talk about politics i mean women politicians are held up to uh, such higher standards than men and anytime a woman who's famous does
1: anything she gets ridiculed you know it's like it's a constant right and and, constant and, attack. and as far as and as far as murder and stuff goes part of it is it's a combination of a couple things misogyny and what i was talking about like the media trying to look for, he did this because blah, blah, blah. Like, we had one in Augusta. Yeah, he
0: killed his wife because she... Yes. Yeah. We
1: had one in Augusta a few years ago where a guy stabbed his girlfriend to death and there was this narrative, she got a text from another guy and that's why he killed her. No, he killed her... Because he's a crazy son of a bitch who had control issues and lives in a society where it's it's not okay for men to brutalize women, but it's still not dealt with the way it should be. And as long as we say, well, I you know, you hear that so many times. About serial killers, Mm -hmm. particularly. Well, he hated women because blah, blah, blah. Like Ted Bundy. You know, his. he was raised by his grandparents. They were his parents, and they found out the woman he thought was his sister was his mother. And that's what made him, you know, his mother gave him to, and that's, no. He was a crazy fucking son of a bitch. Oh, and then his girlfriend, who he wanted to marry, broke up with him, blah, blah, blah. And we're not doing Ted Bundy today, but, and that's why he became a serial killer. No, it's not. It's not. And I know it's hard for people to describe or to delve into all the things that make somebody do that, but all you have to do when you're reporting it is not say he did he killed he did all these because, people because yeah. a woman did this. Yeah. Or because women rejected him like that kid in San Bernardino that shot yeah. those people a couple years ago and his girlfriend I think was the first person he killed. And as well his girlfriend rejected him and I'm sorry I'm I'm probably saying whatever really happened wrong. but It was something like that. And that's why he did it, I remember. No, that's not why he did it. Or girls didn't like him. Girls, you know. That's been
0: a lot of the... um, There was that other guy that I don't remember much about him except he had a picture. He was, like, on the trying-to-meet-people sites, like a bodybuilder type of guy. And he couldn't understand why women didn't like him. Then he went on a mass shooting. And it's
1: like... So like, are we? So is the message that women are what, we're just supposed, supposed to, be to even capitulate? Nicer? Yeah, we're, we're not totally. even nicer, but we're supposed to capitulate to whatever a man wants because our rejection is what I makes know. them killers. And the other thing, we
0: people like to look down on other cultures, where, for instance, cultures where honor killing is acceptable. You know, where people kill women and their family because they won't marry who they want, and people in our country look down on that. But we're not that much different here because we're still judge any woman that or or cultures where a woman is raped and is treated like crap because she's been violated and she's not she's trash
1: we are not much better no. than that in fact i'm sick and tired of getting into arguments with people where they try to defend domestic violence or not defend it but defend people's reactions to it like for instance the nfl's reaction to domestic violence and that type of thing by blaming how the women react to the domestic violence. It doesn't matter what the woman's doing. It doesn't matter what the woman says. It doesn't matter if the woman doesn't want to press charges because a lot of those laws have changed so the woman is so her pressing, now that they understand it, doing shit like that is wrong. And it's not done because of blah, blah, blah. I know. It's, done be- it's not done because of anything except for what the guy did. And as long as that isn't totally recognized as long as you still get into arguments with people. And I was in one the other day where people want to rationalize sexism, misogyny and violence against women and objectification of women and why it's okay. Then it doesn't solve it. For instance, there was a young woman who was in a local college program and she went on a thing to Puerto Rico that the college put on. She was in a building that they owned. It was a Boston area college and a security guard who worked for the building took her up to the oh, roof yeah. for something, and he raped her. And the college was arguing, and I think they ended up backing off because of the backlash, that she shouldn't have gone up to the roof with the guy. And she's and she's like, he was a security guard for this college. He was hired by, you know, you, you should be able to trust that. And then somebody in the Boston Globe wrote a re- very good comment that said it doesn't matter what she was doing. I know. Raping people is illegal. I know. It's illegal to rape somebody. So people need to stop saying she shouldn't have gone up to the roof, she shouldn't have worn the miniskirt, she shouldn't have gotten drunk. She shouldn't have, she shouldn't, drunk, of, she she shouldn't should have, she shouldn't have, should should have. have. Raping somebody he is should, illegal. Yeah. You can be in the middle of the street naked. And if somebody rapes you, they're doing something illegal.
0: Yes, it's not
1: So it's, it's not the right. rapist's fault. Yes, and it's have had for many, many years. You know, it's it the isn't, killer's fault. It isn't the killer is the, by, the one that killed right. someone. It isn't David Berkowitz's biological mother's fault. No. It isn't his adoptive mother's fault. It isn't the fault of all the millions of women who didn't date him. Or anything else. It isn't even the fault of the guy with the barking dogs. Yeah. It's his fault. So, Sorry, But that David. was good because that was a very... I remember I was 16 that summer, and so there, oh there was a lot God, going on that summer. that summer. And that was good. And our recommendations are going to have to do with <laughs> 1977, yes, <they> are. too. <laughs> so, our talking about 1977 brought on a conversation about the TV shows we used yes. to watch then. So we had a lot of favorite shows. Like, for instance, I liked Chico and the Man, and that's the summer Freddie Prinz shot himself, who was... And he was young. He was only 22. Yeah, I know. Very he sad. was a baby. And there was a lot of shows... And there's a lot of shows we could talk about, but we each decided to pick one. I picked the Bob Newhart show, (laughs) and that's the original Bob Newhart, not the one in And I loved that show, and I still love it. The one in Chicago? It still holds up over It does, because the great thing about it is, like, Bob Newhart... Bob Newhart's
0: so funny. I'm
1: sure a lot of people, well, I shouldn't say... He's very deadpan. I shouldn't say I'm sure a lot of people, but... Maybe what a lot of people don't realize is that he had been a stand-up comedian, and his whole shtick was the telephone. So when the the, um, show starts, it starts with a ringing phone, and he answers it in his deadpan way, hello. Mm -hmm. And one of the great things about that show is the ensemble cast, and the different characters, the different people like Mr. Carlin, the 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 great Jack Riley, and Peter Bonners, who played the dentist. And I loved... Bill Daly, who I think is still oh, alive. Oh, God, I love him. Howard, the... Um, and he was the Navi- Dream of Genie. Yes, he played... Major Healy. Major Healy.
0: <laughs> and
1: he was the... And I think they tried in a way to recreate his character with the Tom Poston character on the later... Yeah, horror, it didn't work. Because I mean, he was okay, to, but no, it's not the same. Bill Daly, I felt... He's so funny. He's like a comic genius. And he's also one of those people, it's his looks and everything, um, that make
0: you think... He just reminds me of people I know. Like, you just... He's very familiar-looking and acting. But also, his funny... He always has this
1: kind of look of befuddlement and surprise on his face. And his humor is very good-natured. But the whole show, like, the group psychology sessions... I thought that the, um... The chemistry between uh,
0: Suzanne Plachette and Bob Newhart was good. I liked them as a couple much better than the second one. I don't mind Mary Fran, but they just were kind of... And
1: a lot of things, like there was a really funny one, and I don't know if it was in 1977 or not, but I had posted it on Facebook. Jack Riley, who played Mr. Carlin died, um, I think it was last year, last summer, Yes, yes. and he was... Mr. Carlin. He was a (laughs) a, a lot different from Mr. Carlin, but he was also a a friend of a a writer I know who lives in Waterville, J.P. Devine, Jerry Mm Devine, who had been an actor. And so... Jack Riley got Jerry a role in the episode, and I wonder how many people remember it. Howard Hessman, who played Mr. Plager, and he was one of the people in Bob's group therapy <laughs> session. So he wrote this World War One play that was basically a redoing of one of their group therapy yes. sessions, and he had them go see it. It was wicked funny, but Jerry Devine... The guy the writer I know from Waterville played the Mr. Carlin yes. character in the World War <laughs> <laughs> One play. And I think that's one of my favorite Bob Newhart episodes, but it was so funny because there's so many sitcoms. In nineteen seventy seven there were a lot of sitcoms, but the, there's a formulaicness yeah. a lot of times. Yeah. And on Bob Newhart I, part of it was the ensemble cast, and part of it is Bob Newhart is so fucking funny, and the people on the show are so funny. Well, it's the look on his face. Yeah. just like this. He's so deadpan, and his look is always so like he had those almost like a sad face. But right. well, one of the things I was going to say what that makes it it made it so good was the plots. It wasn't. There are a lot of shows now, and a lot of shows back then, where in the first three minutes you knew exactly what was going to happen for the rest of the show. And you never knew him, Bob Newhart, and you just laughed. Yeah. And 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 everyone was a... a great actor and comedian. Yes. As, and it had a very nice, good theme song that yeah, I, I liked. I, in the early to mid 70s, I had one of those little set recorders mm-hmm. and I, you know, where you had to hold the microphone up to things. <laughs> and I had a cassette. I recorded the theme songs to all the shows I liked. Yes. So I had this cassette with all the theme songs of all the TV shows. Not that I was weirder. And then
0: I remember in like the mid 80s, there was this record set that came out. That had theme songs for 60s and 70s. Yes. remember because your roommate Brian had it? Yes. I remember drinking to listening to it. Yeah. And I was like, like there, I we remember the show. And there was like the theme song to Manix, and i was like, oh, I had such a crush yeah. on Mike Connors And then there was the theme song to Wi Fi. Oh, I love Jack Lord In Rockford and and Files, like, I love James Garner. He's like, did you have a crush on every fucking guy I on did. TV? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, our hormones did. were in bloom. We're and,
1: and also, you were going to mention how Howard Hessman was also Johnny Fever Yes, he was Johnny Fever On Fever. WK. KRP okay. in Cincinnati, which came out a few years later and was also a well, great show. That's a pretty show. good show. Although, yeah. I, I don't know. Not as good as no, but the like a the little scene, more.
0: Um, the characters were a little more character. They were very caricature. I mean, but like the Thanksgiving it. one
1: where they dropped the turkeys. Out of the <laughs> Everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah. one.
0: But but you're Mine, was, We're going from the sublime to the ridiculous here because okay. I was twelve the summer of seventy seven. Uh, I was sixteen, so and I, I was, was trying to more think mature. of yeah, <laughs> and I was trying to think of not the the shows that everyone remembers, but one that I really liked was What's Happening? Yes. So what's happening? Happening if you don't know, and they did have What's Happening Now about 10 years later, mid 80s. But it wasn't wasn't as good. That wasn't as good. But I watched that too. That was one of those ones that went straight to syndication. They'd play it like during the the weekend. So anyway, What's Happening is three friends, they're teenagers Raj, Dwayne, and Rerun, who's Freddie. His name's Freddie. And it's It's so funny though. (laughs) Even watching it now, I laugh because it's just silly. And Raj has a younger sister. They They always had these schemes yes I always had schemes and like the the one I was thinking of was right around
1: I liked Dee because she was a smart ass and she was always foiling their yes, schemes and, and trying to get them in trouble and getting them in trouble yeah. she was very troublesome yeah. and
0: Shirley was the um, waitress uh, and their mother Mabel now Mabel was was she was a single mother yeah, yeah she was divorced because oh, the ex-husband was in the picture a couple times and he was a really good looking guy and the mom's mm-hmm. really big um, and Shirley's really big. Um, well,
1: because, as we know, an on, archetype. on TV, particularly sitcoms, black women have to be overweight. Uh, there's there's, a, there's an the archetype 70s. of that on yes. TV. So the, the one I was thinking
0: of, I was looking at the episodes from 1977, from around the time The Son of Sam, just because right. that, that's what we were doing for a topic. And there's one where Raj has a crush on this nurse that works at the that the free clinic so he's spending all his time over there and he's <laughs> been reading his diary and thinks that he's sick they jump to the conclusion that there's something wrong with As happens in sitcoms yes. Yes. well that's the thing you were talking about
1: formulaic and predictable yes. that's this show yes it is but it was but funny. It's so funny you know what's funny is because the kids are the so kids funny. Are funny like rerun always reminded me of this guy i used to work with and New Hampshire, John Habib, who still airs the sports that's <laughs> does something Habib. about him. <laughs> I
0: always thought a rerun, even as a child, I didn't really understand... Um, black being, culture no I, I did not definitely <laughs> not understand black culture but I didn't understand homosexuality or anything but I always assumed he was gay because
1: he wore flamboyant clothes and he
0: just the way he those talks bright overall and stuff. And stuff and maybe he's not but I thought that lady Elaine on mr.
1: Rogers was gay yeah. too mm-hmm. uh-huh. I know she's maybe a puppet she but...
0: <laughs>
1: I, like, uh, Raj was the smart one, right? Because they had... He was always scheming, but he was
0: smart. And Dwayne would, was kind of dumb. And was, uh, he he was he the dumb in, friend. He'd always say, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> 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 and and they always hung out at this, like, diner where Shirley, the waitress, who was always, like, looking at them with disdain, but she was kind of their friend. Yeah. It's just it's it was just a good silly. show. With yeah, your kid, it's fun it was fun for yes. kids the thing about kids and you forget when you're an adult, because the things I I enjoy watching. I like things that are unpredictable. That's what I find when I'm watching something funny, the reason I find it funny is because if I'm not expecting something, um I like Things that are smart and and but when you're a kid, you don't mind something that's predictable. You don't mind if you've seen it twenty times. You'll still watch it. We watch things over and
1: over and like over. Like the yeah. Brady Bunch, we watch Star Trek. And, yeah, because they show the, yeah. show the reruns. You'd show the
0: reruns. You just watch it. Oh, yes. this is that one again. And yeah, you watch it. You yes. still enjoy it. It's yeah. just like and I do that still now. There's certain things I will watch over and over. But well, not, one thing when right we were kids way. too,
1: we there were so few channels oh, yeah. that if you wanted to just sit in front of the TV, you were going to end up watching reruns. Yeah. And we yeah. did like to sit in front of the TV. Yeah, we did like to sit in front of the and TV and eat our ship bars. Ship bars, yeah. We have ship bars for this. I made ship bars episode, which are they're actually they're probably another name for them, but it they were called cereal peanut bars. They were in
0: some cookbook we had when we were kids, and they actually I am the one that decided to add the butterscotch chips, which actually that was a good call. They're chocolate was, chips, peanut
1: butter, corn syrup. See when I make them, I make up
0: corn flakes and rice. Crispies. See when
1: I make them, I ma- I use chocolate chips, butterscotch chips, and peanut butter chips. Ah, and I don't melt them completely. Yeah, and then you mix in the cereal, the corn flakes, and the. See, I
0: make them the way I used. You put the peanut butter, corn syrup, and you have to melt it until it's like bubbly, and then you put the chips and the cereal in and mix it up, yeah. and then you put it.
1: But I mine's anyways, not too much differently. I put like a little. Thing. I put a little corn syrup, and then I, but I put. Chocolate chips, peanut butter chips, and butterscotch chips. And then... And you don't put any regular peanut butter in? No. Oh. No, just peanut butter chips. I think I did that once because I just... I realized when I was shopping for the ingredients that it would be less messy. Yeah, peanut butter Because you have to... The peanut butter, and you have to scrape it off and it gets on your... Yeah. But the peanut butter chips... And then I also... What I like is when the chips are partially melted, so yeah. sometimes you got this nice, cool bite of a uh, chip in there. Mm. But the butterscotch chips were definitely a good addition. So we... Well, that's one of our big we recommendations. Our kids, we called them ship bars. Ship bars. Yeah. yeah. For and there isn't really a specific recipe, I think. You, nope. I mean, you throw you those ingredients together. Yeah, you throw them together. The big thing is, once you have the Mind stuff these melted... Ones are a little too
0: crumbly. Once you have
1: the stuff melted, and you put the cereal in, you got to stir it real fast and, and get it into in the, the pan. pan before it hardens. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, you know, from Son of Sam to Ship Bars. Yeah. Enjoy this? your Ship yes. Bars. Is that our episode for today?
0: I believe it is.
1: And if you have any comments. And next week you're doing something. Do you know what you're doing yet? No. Yes. I'm doing. Yeah, I'm doing the 1968 murder of Carol Jenkins. And I don't want to say too much about it. And don't go looking it up on Wikipedia. Just wait. Yeah. I'm doing more research than what's on Wikipedia. And it's. An unsolved murder from 1968 in Indiana that's still relevant in a lot of ways to today. I I don't know anything about it. It's one a lot of people don't know about. I had come across it, and I actually had to get a digital subscription to the new yorker and i like the new yorker anyway because they did a bunch of stories on it and if you get a digital subscription you can go into their archives because this doesn't have so this isn't one of those things that has a ton of shit on the internet so i'm hoping i'll be informing people uh, something they don't know a lot about and i am going to do the journalist in sweden who went on the submarine to do the story with the guy who made his own submarine and somehow she ended up a headless Torso, torso the in woman. the water. But that's Ugh, a couple weeks from you now. And if you want to contact us, you I'm going to can... do a story about rainbows and kittens. Okay. Did, how did How did they get killed? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I was talking and I was with some friends and a uh, local murder, uh, unsolved murder of a 13-year-old girl mm. came up and I was talking, I guess with some relish about it, to somebody, and I heard somebody say to somebody else, well, she's kind of into that stuff. Like it was, uh, well, and it's funny, we talk about Son of Sam. When that was going on, I mean, I used to watch the Today Show every morning. Yeah. I got the New York Daily News because I was a big Jimmy Breslin fan somehow. I can't remember how that happened to me, but we sold it at Mr. Paperback, the bookstore our mom worked at, and I think that wasn't the summer I worked there. I think that's the summer I was, 1977. I think I was working at Mr. You Paperback. Might have- but we were really into it, and so it's funny because now you hear younger people think that it's almost like people no
0: have been into It's that. Right?
1: It's like it's almost like b- before the internet and and everything, there was no interest in true crime. I'll, I can tell you, I've been interested in true crime well,
0: since Sherlock I could, Holmes was uh, was was popular.
1: And but he's uh, fiction, yeah. But people liked the crime. But I mean, in rule books, I mean, we were yes. reading them rule books. But I'm saying it's been around for a long yes. time.
0: People, have, because these things wouldn't have stayed in the Jack the Ripper wouldn't have stayed in the public's imagination all these years if people weren't interested right. in it and talked right. about it.
1: Or the Black Dahlia. Right. So it's, I mean, so true crime came like along way, way before the internet. Is just what we're saying. The
0: interest in it did. Yes. People That's have what I'm always saying. been fascinated People's, by. There are
1: those. It. So, but if you want to contact us. If you our, want to complain about our. What, yes, uh, oh, speaking of complaining, I just want to make this point. We do write scripts and read from them, and we, yes, we do sound like we're reading, and it's not that big a deal, I don't think. Why did someone say yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Somebody mentioned to me that somebody who listens to our podcast mentioned to me that one of the problems was we sound like we're reading. And we're not actresses, and we're not trained broadcasters, and we write our scripts so that we're not all I over think the place. if you ask anyone that does a podcast, they write a script. Yes. And some people are trained broadcasters and actors whatever, and they can sound like they're just talking to you. We may sound like we're reading, and I don't think that's an issue. I don't know. It's not an issue with me. There's a lot of podcasts I listen to
0: where people are reading. Yeah. The Case Files guy isn't reading.
1: Yes. And he's one of the most popular. Right. The guy, Breakdown Guy, was reading. Yes. So, in any case, I just wanted to throw that out there.
0: Well, it's always something. It kind of annoys me because it's like, why don't you try doing a fucking yeah yeah. You know, when you do
1: your fucking podcast, you can sound and awesome. don't and try to do it without a script and see right. how articulate or coherent yes. you sound. It's just like when people like my books. Well, in the plot, you should have done blah blah blah. And I always say, when you write your mystery novel, you can do that with your. Plot. If
0: anyone yeah. doesn't like a story, I'm really sorry, but you uh, don't want to hear me if just, I don't have a fucking yeah, script. Yeah,
1: we'd be this would be five hours long, and we would never get to whatever point we were trying to get to. But in any case, you can contact us at our and Gmail. And also,
0: I can't change my voice.
1: Yeah, uh, they didn't say that. They yeah, disagreed. they didn't. Because they were to your face. But in any case, yes. you can contact us online at, at com. Yes. Our website is Crime and Stuff Online, where you can find ways to donate. We're and on, We're on Facebook? Patreon. Oh. And we're on patreon and there's donate buttons on there so you don't have to go searching for us on patreon we post more stuff we post links to a lot of our source material on our website we are on twitter instagram facebook and just look for crime and stuff yeah you can find us and if you really like what we're laying down you can listen to our other podcast groovy tube which we don't sound as much like we're reading from scripts yeah I don't obsess. It was one I'm person. I'm going to obsess. I shouldn't have said anything. I'm so and GroovyTube this Oh and that person's probably listening, so Maybe they haven't gotten this far. Groovy tube this season is The Crimes of the Brady Bunch, where we go through the whole Brady Bunch next it's season it's gonna good be the about that. Yeah, so people, people like really it. Like that people one. like it. And the, my my podcast Notes from a Cranky Editor, which is very short episodes about different writing things. Yes. So until next time. Thank you everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.
0: He said that the twenty two disciples of hell he mentioned in the Are you trying to say disciples? Disciples. Disciples. Disciples? Okay. Disciples. Disciples. How do you say disciples? Just just the disciples. way you just said it. disciples.
1: Because you're saying like
0: disciples or something. No. It's because I can't talk. I'm like, I'm broke it, off. Yeah.